Hi, I'm Ross Greenwood and these are the Money Minutes. No job, no interviews and little hope. But what these Qantas pilots did next, well, it's a lesson for us all. Hi, great to have your company for another episode of the Money Minutes. Just have a listen to this. Every day became a more uh, a deeply worrying situation where it became more and more obvious that, that things weren't normal and it was getting worse, not better. So that's Matt Harper, a Qantas A380 second officer who, one day earlier this year, and utterly unexpectedly lost his job. A year earlier, he wouldn't have even contemplated that situation. And he's not alone. Because you know, I know people who have lost their job this year or lost hours work because of the coronavirus. Even now, there's around 250,000 more unemployed people than before the virus hit. And that doesn't even include those who just simply gave up looking for work altogether. So there's little wonder the stock market jumped so rapidly this week with news that Pfizer, in interim trial results, said it had positive results from its vaccine. And as we've said here many times, trying to find an effective coronavirus vaccine is going to be really hard. But this is just one glimpse of the human endeavour to try and solve this awful pandemic. Now, just a little aside, do remember that this Pfizer vaccine has to be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius, and it will only last 24 hours when refrigerated at 4 degrees. So that's a logistical challenge that governments around the world have to solve if they think this is the cure, the vaccine, to get people back to normal. Fridge mechanics, already the rock stars of the tradies with their mechanical and chemical skills, the highest paid of them, get set for plenty of work and I reckon plenty of spare cash as well. But look, until that happens, those who have lost jobs are going to continue to struggle. The government yesterday extended the job seeker payments out until the end of March, but cut the rate from $250 a fortnight to $150 a fortnight. But even that will still cost the government, sorry, sorry, you, the Australian taxpayers, an extra $3.2 billion. A job for those people out of work is the real answer. A job for them so they can actually start earning some money, and for the nation, so that they start paying some tax. But if you have been out of a job, you do know that getting a new one, and especially now, is it's really tough. The unanswered calls and the applications and emails that simply are not replied to. And so we go to one of Australia's most iconic companies, Qantas. As the pandemic hit in March, Qantas boss Alan Joyce announced around two-thirds of its workforce, that's 20,000 people or so, was stood down. Now, later in late June, he said 6,000 of those staff would be retrenched altogether and the remaining 15,000 or so would remain stood down. So we're talking pilots, flight crew, engineers, people in the head office, the whole lot. The Airlines 12 A380 long-haul aircraft that were already expensive to operate, they were sent to the Mojave Desert to be put in mothballs along with most of its fleet of 787 Dreamliners. They were to be the future of international flying and they were sent to the same storage facilities. In the meantime, those Qantas staff laid off and on the JobKeeper scheme were wondering what they could do to keep themselves occupied and how they could use their skills. What many found is that employers, overwhelmed by applications, rejected them time after time. Many of the staff suspected that some companies simply didn't want to hire them because as soon as the coronavirus ended, that they would go back to being, well, pilots and engineers and flight crew or whatever. And they're probably right. Frustrated by being endlessly rejected, 
Two Qantas pilots, Matt Harper and Dave Rubin, looked hard at their own skills and experiences and then decided to take matters into their own hands. Told by Matt Harper, this is their story and it's a lesson for anybody trapped in similar circumstances. Harper, many thanks for your time. Hello, Ross. No problems at all. Uh, lovely to talk to you. So if we go back to March, just explain when Qantas announces, obviously, they've got a ground defeat. You understand this. As a pilot, you understand the, the dangers of flying, the dangers of... But it really, from a personal point of view, it means that you've got to then start to think, rethink in many ways, the direction that you're going to take. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, I mean, to be honest, at the very beginning, it, it, uh, it didn't seem like it was something that was going to evolve into what it actually became. Um, I guess, you know, being having been through things like the uh, the SARS virus and uh, even the MERS virus to a degree some years prior, you know, we, we had information about those sort of viruses and they kind of came and went in a, in a fairly quick fashion, really didn't have that much impact on us. So initially the feeling was, oh, well, we're, you know, we're in that, position again and and i guess you know we'll, we'll see how this goes but realistically you know i don't think any of us expected it i think the globe didn't expect it to occur like it actually did and then every day became a more uh, a deeply worrying situation where it became more and more obvious that that things weren't normal and it, it was getting worse not better and okay. that's where it really became obvious to us i think as a pilot group that that uh, it was going to have a global effect. Okay, so take me back. I mean, I've interviewed pilots and I've known pilots during my life. And as mm. much as being a vocation, it is a passion. It is something that a person has to study for and has to have ongoing study for. There is mm. very technical skill that's involved. Just explain your own career as a Qantas pilot. Uh, my, well, my career started um, uh, at a very young age with the idea of flying. And, uh, and that was probably around four or five years old. When um, I, I got the idea, I think I saw some planes in the sky, and and uh, I actually went to the airport at one point with my um, my um, grandfather and grandmother to to see somebody, a family member off, and uh, saw these planes, and um, I, I was just in awe of these uh, these machines, and of course uh, I, I, the smell of the jet fuel, the excitement of the airport, all of that had a, an immediate effect on me, and and I just found myself looking skyward much more often after that moment uh, and my grandfather thankfully w- was uh, connected to aviation he was a, a flyer um, in his early life uh, in tiger moths and things like that so he, he actually had um, a number of connections through the uh, the RAF and also through Qantas people who'd come from the RAF and, uh, RAF and moved into Qantas and uh, so he was able to get access to uh, in those early days um, uh, the Qantas jet base and on weekends and things like that when I would visit uh, we'd go and crawl over big jets and and look at engines and just be in that environment and it, and it it was you know it was there from the from that moment onwards i was just addicted to it and uh i i think from that moment onwards it it, it 
gave me a very clear path of what where I was going and what I wanted to do. So it, it was fairly obvious uh, that that's where I was going to go. And I started reading and, and studying as soon as I was sort of old enough to do any of that. I, I, I relate. Um, I used to build um, plastic aircraft models. So, you know, at the time I was a young boy and uh, we didn't have the internet or that, those sort of things to uh, entertain ourselves. So, um, uh, I, you know, mum would go and buy me these plastic uh, plane models and I would build, uh, I don't know how many hundreds of those things I, I built. But, uh, and I just remember running around you know, pretending to fly these these uh, little plastic models, and I think in my head it was it was kind of like this rehearsal of of uh, things to come. You know. So this just shows me how deeply ingrained you know flying and being a pilot was in in your DNA from a very early age. So just yeah. explain what types of planes were you flying for Qantas? Uh, I was um I'd flown both the uh, the jumbo. Uh, the 747, the 747 and the A380. And prior to those, when I was uh, in the uh, the regionals with Qantas Link, I flew the Dash 8s. Uh, and prior to that, I flew with uh, Kendall Airlines uh, when uh, Kendall was around before the collapse of ANSET on the uh, Saab 340. Um, and there's a long history of uh, smaller aircraft before that um, leading up to, to the Qantas. So, okay, so as we come into coronavirus, and as you say, it was almost a, a creeping thing in some ways that uh, really people started to understand the severity of it. But you as an international pilot uh, mm. would have recognised the, the potential risks of, of crossing borders and, of course, of people carrying the virus a, across nations. And so from that point of view, the actual standing down of the fleet, the standing down of the staff, the pilots, all that sort of stuff, ultimately it was a risk that you were, were highly conscious of. And, of course, now it's gone on much longer than anybody ever anticipated. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and as it became, like I said, uh, more globally obvious, uh, I started getting messages from friends and, and uh, other, even family members sort of saying, is everything okay? Uh, is this sort of a, a temporary thing and is this going to get better? And it was that was probably the, the point where it really dawned on, I think, everyone that uh, it was not going to get better in a hurry and uh, that there was no easy you know, fix for it, uh, short of a vaccine, which is you know, what we're really looking for globally now. Um, it's it's going it's going to be a significant challenge and, and definitely a, a challenge for all major airlines and Qantas included in that one. Okay, so at that time you have a choice: you can either sit on your backside and drive everybody around you crazy, or you can get out and start <laughs> to try and do something. When, yeah. It was obviously not sitting on your backside and driving everybody crazy that was your preferred uh, your preferred option. What did you do to try and get yourself occupied? Yeah, sitting on my backside has never been an option. Uh, it's just not in my, my nature, really. Um, and uh, definitely being around under my wife's feet uh, 24-7 was something very new to us uh, as a family. Um, you know, as a family, we've been used to me every week or so going away for about a week or so. So, um, you know, to have me around 24-7 was, was a very new thing. So there was a lot of motivation to to do something. But it was also very challenging because not knowing when there was potentially going to be a return, it, it's like, well, if you're going to change careers, then maybe you go off and study and you, you apply yourself for a, a few years at learning. You know, maybe you do a, an MBA or you do some other form of, of study that will 
open another avenue or another. Yeah, uh, but hang door. on, Matt. You're a pilot. This yeah. is this is your as you've explained. This is your passion. This is what you mm. do. This is what you are. So yeah. at this point, to try and actually even contemplate retraining, reskilling, doing all that sort of stuff was almost unimaginable. Because at any exactly. point in time, if there was a vaccine, you would have been a pilot again. That was the issue. It, exactly. Yeah, and, and and at almost fifty as well. It, it's it's not the point in your life where generally, short of some catastrophic disaster, uh, we would, pilots would ever think that they would change careers. In, in general, if you, you've gotten this far along in your career as a pilot, you're not likely to change. You started this with the idea that this would be a, a long-term, total-term career, that you would get to the end, you, you know, you'll have your four bars on your shoulder and uh, you retire happy and, and uh, you know, get to 65 and that's the, that's the sort of the end of the, the game. But, um, yeah, that, that certainly... Uh, you know, changed. <laughs> so it changed, right? So then you've got to become occupied. So I presume, mm. I presume, apart from some of the support that Qantas is able to give to pilots and staff, the fact that of the matter was you had to try and find yourself a job or find some yeah. something to keep you occupied. So yeah. did you did you apply? Did you go out there and try and seek that opportunity? Apply would be probably an understatement. Um, yeah, I, I did. Uh, application after application after application, and I'm talking hundreds of applications See, across. What, hundreds of applications you're talking about? Hundreds. Hundreds. Um, so, yeah, so, I, so, what, I so did, did, a job, did a job turn right. up immediately for you? No, not at all. Um, in fact, it was just I, I wondered whether I actually had a, an internet connection and <laughs> whether I was getting out anywhere uh, because there was just zero, absolutely zero response. And, and most of the applications these days, you know, it's not just pick up the phone and call somebody. Some of them are like that, but in general, then that leads to, well, get online and fill in the application and send it through to us, we'll have a look. Uh, so yeah, I went on to multiple job uh, websites and registered and went through all the process of filling in all your details and, and you know, the, the, the general uh, things that you have to do to, to have the information available to employers to look at you as, a, as a, an employee. And... You know, just just dusting off your your old CV and looking at what you've got, and even gener- generating a new CV with any relevance, uh, it's a really time-consuming process for anyone. And it, it's you know, it's not something that you're used to at all. So Qantas is quite amazing. They put a lot of information out for us, all of the the, the crew, and not just pilots, but pilots, engineers, flight attendants, and ground staff. The whole uh, a lot of it. Uh, to help you to to guide you through the writing CV process, to guide you through the you know getting online and, and getting your um, applications out there, and they've been amazing support-wise. I you know I can't I can't tell you how much uh, support they've offered. But even with all that support, it still gets to the point where you send your CV off, and it just goes off into the darkness, and and you never hear back from. Uh, you may get an email to say that it's been received. But but that was it. And uh, so I, I didn't receive a single phone call for probably, I would guess it would be close to three months, three or four months. Wow. Uh, and I was and I was doing often before breakfast uh, at the, the breakfast table, I would uh, I'd, I'd knock out six or, you know, eight um, applications in the morning. I just had a, a bunch of, um, I guess, filters on on these job sites to sort of find and I'm talking about average jobs, the normal jobs, driving a truck, driving a forklift, working in a warehouse, um, you know, any sort of 
job that I thought I could just generate an income. Um, you know, not really a, a job that was requiring any skills or training uh, in particular. But hang on, this but, kind of uh, surprises me. You're, you're a man with skills. You're a man in demand as a pilot. You're in demand with mm-hmm. all those things. When you started to analyse it, was it simply that there were no jobs out there at that time and employers were just, you know, simply not, not hiring? Or was it also a situation that you thought that maybe if one day you were going to be a pilot again, that nobody really wanted to hire you because they've effectively thought, well, as soon as the job comes up back at Qantas, as soon as something turns up there, he'll be back off like a flash. Did you try and analyse that to a certain extent? Absolutely. I mean, I made assumption, assumptions on that uh, point, knowing that an employer would look at, well, you know, on my CV, the very normal thing to do is to put your last job as your, um, you know, where you worked and to give a, a reference to uh, to that employer. So my CV, the first point on the CV was obviously a 20-year career at, uh, at Qantas. And I... I, I I realised that employers would potentially look at that and say, well, exactly what you said, this guy will take the job, do it for a little while, and then off you'll go uh, back to, to flying. Um, so at, at one point, I, I just removed my 20-year um, Qantas career from my CV and went back to all of the, the jobs that I did pre-flying when I was paying for my, my commercial licence, which were things like warehousing, forklift driving, security guard, um, all those other type of jobs that, uh, you know, customer service roles with Microsoft. Uh, I had um, I managed a, a cafe and a, and a pub, uh, you know, and a restaurant, You're doing all those sort of customer service roles, looking at those opportunities and thinking, well, I can just, if I can broaden it out, then obviously there'll be a lot more opportunity there to, to find something. But it was still just deafening silence, absolutely deafening silence. Okay, so then there comes the point of frustration and you're sitting down mm. having a arm with a bloke called Dave Rubin who's in a very similar situation to you, also yep. a Qantas pilot, and yep. obviously comparing notes and saying, look, there's just no feedback, we're getting no jobs, there's nothing coming mm. through the door, we're driving mm. our families crazy, what do we do? How does that conversation with Dave Rubin go? It's an interesting one because Dave had taken, uh, he'd, he'd found a, a number of different um, sort of casual opportunities to to fill in his gaps he started himself as uh years before Qantas he was an electrician and uh so he'd um, started the process of uh renewing his electrician license and also was doing some handyman work and uh also became a drone pilot uh, so he was out flying for the um the surf lifesavers uh, down at uh, dy and so uh, you know, he'd found a number of just small things to fill in the gaps. And uh, he was he's also in a slightly different situation to me where he's on the domestic fleet on the 737s, uh, which are obviously doing some flying at the moment. So there's he was sort of doing month-on-month-off uh, month type flying. So slightly different scenario to me rather than me being on the A380, that, which is just all the planes are over in the desert at the moment in, uh, in Mojave, um, USA. So his um, uh, work was it needed to be flexible for him to be able to do his uh, flying still, the little bits that were there. And, and we're talking maybe, you know, three or four days a month of flying um, in those periods. So it's not a huge amount, but it's still enough to keep them valid and current. Um, so, yeah, I actually ended up, I, you know, just, from, as you said, talking to Dave and, and saying, what are you up to? And he said, well, I'm, I'm down at uh, 
at DIY flying a drone. And, and I'd only recently also um, done my drone license uh, conversion, another course <laughs> to add to the, uh, the the long list of courses that, that have been done. And uh, so I, I wanted to go and see what was happening at uh, with the flying that he was doing on the drone. So I went down and we just ended up having a chat uh, down there. And that's when he mentioned that he, he had his uh, electric, electrician's license back. And uh, that's where the idea, the, the join the dots of him as an electrician and and me with the uh, the technical background on the automation side came together and we sort of talked to, about the idea of a business. Okay, so the business we should explain to people now is called automatehome.com.au that you and he, out of adversity effectively and out of trying to, your own ingenuity have decided that rather than trying to get a job, you'd create one for yourself. So, so okay, so as you sat there and started to analyse your skill sets, uh, as pilots, what did you come up with? I can see with Dave there was the, the background as an electrician, but how mm-hmm. did you try and analyse it and how did you then try and adapt that and turn that into the business you created? Well, I, I guess uh, it started probably for me around three years ago when we, uh, my wife and I did a, uh, a small renovation on our, our home and at that point I looked at what was in the market from uh, automation and, uh, and making our home into a smart home. And so I spent uh, a lot of time and energy and resources uh, looking at all of those products that are, that were available and working out what I wanted in my home to make it do all the things that I wanted it to do. So this and is being able about, to turn on your air conditioner from your smartphone, being able to yeah, walk in and yeah. turn your lights on by saying turn the lights on, by being able exactly. to go, uh, you know, turn the television on and the television turns on, whatever it might be, everything yep. automated basically opens and shuts by either an application when you're remotely away from it or indeed mm-hmm. when you're in it, you can do it through voice. Yeah, exactly that. And and I so I saw the opportunity for me to look after things like my pool uh, when I was overseas on a trip and still be able to, able to monitor what the pool was doing and run the, you know, the filter and, and all those sorts of things while I was away and, and to be able to, as you say, uh, or turn an air conditioner on or, or have uh, lights come on and off and, and just automate general things in the, in the home. So, you know, there was there was quite a bit of research. And there's in, a practical reason for this. But, of course, you being a pilot who's away from home, and if mm. the rest of the family's away from home, for you to be able to turn on a stereo system or a radio, for you to be able to turn on lights, it means that your home appears occupied, which is actually a security issue as well as anything else. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, have it, just being able to, to connect and see what was going on in the home and, um, you know, even down to things like cameras and that sort of thing, if, if you are uh, that way inclined, all of that is is quite available these days. Um, so th- for me, that was quite interesting. The technical challenge of actually uh, getting it all to work and getting it to connect. And um, I actually employed an electrician back then to to put all my uh, my hardwire points in uh, and all the things that needed to to be done there. So I sort of had a I guess an overview of of how to do it because I'd been through the process myself. And then I had a number of my friends and family ask. Uh, asked me how I did it, and then uh, asked me to come and help them do it. So then I got, you know, involved in doing it with them as well, and and then had my my Sparky at the time go and help our friends out to have their places done as well. So, you know, some it just sort of evolved in that regard, and and I saw that it, it's something that most or a lot of people have challenges with, 
it should be simple, but it's not always simple. Uh, and so that's where I saw the opportunity to sort of, you know, <laughs> we were standing okay. there going, well, I, I get that. And you're standing there on Coogee Beach flying drones, mm. having a bit mm. of a chat about your skills. It's all, all yep. very well to talk about the skills and have the dreams and say, we could do this, we could do that. It's a yep. second thing to actually then go and implement and create a business, a website to, to try and, you know, create demand, all that type of thing. So, mm. you know, you very actually hard. then had to go back to the, to the process side of this to create yep. the business. So, all right, yeah. you can you can do a you can do a website, you can do all that sort of stuff, but mm. you've actually got to commit to it as well. That's yeah, that's one of the big yeah. issues. And and Ross, the um, probably the biggest issue is is the idea. And I and I thought about you know starting businesses before um, before this COVID thing. In my you know, younger years, there was different opportunities that have come about where I thought I could get involved in businesses and and potentially work uh, run a business as a sideline business to my you know with my flying career uh, and. Most of the time, the idea of investing in a business was was always fraught with danger. And, you know, you hear of all these, a lot of people have said, you know, 80%, 90% of, of businesses fail in the first year and, uh, you know, small businesses are really tough to operate and manage and run. And, and, I, and I think there's a lot of also apprehension about uh, putting money into something, especially in our car, current climate of, of, you know, declined economy and, you know, it's a really challenging thing to to want to invest into something now that is in a, a dangerous market. And uh, the the catalyst for me was actually a conversation with with a good friend of ours uh, who who runs um, a large uh, business, a, a plumbing business. And uh, he, we had I had just sat down and had a chat with him, and he said to me, "What's stopping you?" And I said, oh, you know, I, I, I guess I, I just don't know whether I'm um, able to do it. And he said, well, you're never going to know until you have a go. And he said, you just got to do it. Just do it and uh, trust yourself. Trust that you'll get yourself through. He said, you've, you've overcome so many other adversities in your life. This is, this is nothing compared to those. Just get out there and do it. And uh, he said, I, I think the idea is a great idea and, and I, I, I back you. Oh, uh, which you is know, a good thing. But here's the interesting part about this. Um, let's say, for example, the vaccine turns up tomorrow. Uh, mm. You've then got a dilemma. You've got a business that's now starting to build and grow, and you know you've used your skills. You and Dave have both been able to do this. The question yeah. is whether you can manage and run both things, and indeed whether your passion for for aviation, your passion for flying, really mm. ends up overtaking your passion for what is now a a, a new uh, a, a new business for yourself. Yeah, and I think both Dave and I. Yeah, understand our our position which is that you know if flying is to return that we would both want to go back to doing our flying but at the same time it's now it's now opened our uh, eyes to this opportunity which is in front of us and i think we could quite easily manage both um, components of it now looking at the way we work uh, and whether that meant we had to bring other staff into to supplement when we're not available then that that's an option. Obviously, it changes things from the business perspective, but uh, it's certainly something that we I think we now identify is is a real possibility. And our plan is to focus on this time that we've got available to us where we're not flying, and really, really, really work hard to to get the business to a point where it it can be managed remotely and uh, and operate. Uh, you know, almost it's it's never going to be autonomous, but um, operate as as autonomously as possible so that we can go and follow our, our careers again when and if they return. Okay, so Matt, just a final one. I mean, the business, obviously, we know people have been home, so they've been concentrating more on renovating, updating, doing whatever they have. 
How's mm. the business gone, given there is now also an emphasis on people wanting to automate their homes? Well, it's been great. I mean, uh, my, the post which uh, which obviously triggered your uh, interest um, was uh, was um, on uh, LinkedIn, and my my wife posted uh, that post with an idea or a, or a, a plan to raise awareness of employers to the problems that us as pilots and and, all, and obviously Qantas pilots in in my regard, but and engineers and flight attendants are all suffering when it, with regards to just not appearing to be a suitable applicant for the jobs that are uh, they're applying for. Um, and I guess the word overqualified is the one that's used most often. Uh, and so that post that uh, she posted only two weeks, two and a half weeks ago now, uh, it went absolutely viral and it went global. And it's now just shy of uh, 1 million views and it's had uh, over 20,000 positive uh, likes and almost 1500 absolutely positive comments so i think i think the idea of what what she was putting out there really really reverberated around uh the planet and and i guess people seem to um just it struck a chord with them and uh we we have had i cannot tell you you know how much positive uh response we've had there, there has been zero negative response and and I'm you know social media can be your, your friend and your worst enemy, and in this case it's it's been absolutely our friend, and I think it's it's helped to expose and help him maybe um, educate would be maybe a word uh, employers to look a little bit outside the box and and look at the the actual applicant, not just the the check boxes that may be in front of them when it comes to the applicants that are that are applying for jobs. And and I understand there are lots and lots of people looking for work at the moment. And so the candidate levels are, are huge. You know, I was I was seeing when jobs closed, numbers of six and seven hundred other applicants that had applied for the same job that I was applying for. So you know, it gives the employer a, a very good opportunity to to minimize uh, or to narrow down their search field really well. But it's it's not really it's it doesn't uh, help us as as a uh, as a group of, of, of potential employees, with you know. And I would say, and I'm, I certainly don't like blowing, blowing my own trumpet, but I would say that if you looked at a pilot skill set, you would see that there's such a huge gamut of of skills and training and experience and knowledge and you know uh, even just um, commitment that you would get from any one of those pilots. And unfortunately, they're just being overlooked because they don't tick a box. And I'd uh, suggest that that could happen for a whole lot of people with a whole lot Absolutely. of other different skill sets as well. And Absolutely. that's what the lesson is, for employers is. to actually look a little outside the box and to actually mm. not really go through that old ticker box. The reason why I love this story is because it was about your, if you like, moment where you had to pivot, you where you were forced to pivot and to think outside the square. It actually went to the whole story about the way in which applicants are treated today when they actually apply for jobs, and indeed the way in which employers go about seeking uh, new employees. But then it goes to the ingenuity that both you and Dave have displayed to try and keep yourself occupied and to create your own business when clearly others were not wanting your skills at that time. Can I just say, I look forward very shortly Shortly, Matt, to the time when I'm sitting on a on a Qantas, uh, uh, you know, overseas aircraft, and I hear the dulcet tones of Second Officer Matt Harper coming across, telling me that I'm going to have a great flight. And I, I really do appreciate your time and your story today. Well, I hope at some point down the down the road we can certainly look after you, Ross. And I'm I'm certain that the uh, we will return to flying. 
but uh, just I guess right now it's just not not clear how far down the road that'll be. But uh, I certainly am sure that the world is looking forward to uh, being able to get out there and travel again, and, and I'm certainly looking forward as well. But thank you so much for uh, taking the time to have a chat. Yeah, great to chat today. Many thanks, Matt. Cheers, Ross. So just a final one on this. Just remember one part about these pilots here. They just can't go straight back into flying. If, say, for example, the airline tomorrow said, right, we're back in business, the vaccine's now working. Just consider the whole point about the months it would take to validate their licences, their medicals, and also the notice that Qantas would need to give to be able to try and get people back into that work. I think that's one thing to remember, that just because maybe there's a vaccine on the horizon do understand that many companies, and especially a company like Qantas, that has really had to you know, change and overhaul the way in which it works, it's going to take time to get back to what we'd call normal, like the rest of us. Anyway, thanks for taking the time to listen. You can always give us your feedback via social media, Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn, or through your podcast app on Apple, Google, Spotify or Amazon. This has been a Talent Corp production. I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes.